Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Thanks so much for listening. Coming up in just a few moments, uh, former UN ambassador and my governor, Nikki Haley, joins us on the podcast to talk about her uh, debate performance and China and uh, some other fun stuff. So you don't want to mess that here on the podcast. Thank all of you who uh, subscribe to the absolutely free newsletter. If you're listening to this and you don't, please just go to nhjournal.com right now. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a little button. Click on it. It's a free newsletter, although we're happy to have your financial support if you'd like to do that as well. I just want to talk about one quick thing before we get to Governor Haley because it's become a national story, and that is uh, the question about whether or not Donald Trump will be kept off the ballot by Secretary of State Dave Scanlon because of Trump's participation in an insurrection. And there's been a lot of, uh, do we call it bad reporting, lousy report? I mean, <laughs> there's a, a plenty of lousy political reporting out there. Uh, just to roll through, uh, the story really took hold when uh, Corky Messner, who was the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in 2020, uh, publicly said, I'm going to you know, look into this. I want to see if there's action. He had a meeting with Secretary of State Scanlon uh, last week to talk about this, and that spun off a lot of stories. And some knucklehead and conservative media started saying, oh my gosh, Dave Scanlon is taking Donald Trump off the ballot. And then uh, people in the left-leaning media in New Hampshire and nationwide, you know, it's really possible Trump may not be on the ballot. This is a major problem. Look, Setting aside the legal argument, which I'm not a lawyer, my mother dreamed that I would become a lawyer. Uh, but no, I, I just say I it it looks pretty shaky to me. But whatever the final decision is, it's not going to be made by Dave Scanlon in New Hampshire for a couple reasons. One is. Dave Scanlon is a very serious-minded public servant. He takes his job very seriously, as did his predecessor, Bill Gardner. And so he's not just going to stand, you know, I've decided that I think Trump's an insurrectionist, which is, by the way, the argument that's being made is that the Secretary of State and other election agency officials around the country should just decide for themselves whether or not they think Trump is an insurrectionist and just keep him off the ballot. And that might happen in, you know, a crazy place like Massachusetts or, or you, know, uh, you know, California or whatever. But that's not going to happen in New Hampshire. Just for those of you who are from, not from the Granite State, not going to happen. Dave Scanlon wouldn't do it. Dave Scanlon's already said, I'm you know, working with the Attorney General. We're looking at this. We're, oh, you know, they're not going to, if there is some case or litigation or something that takes us there, Scanlon's not going to override it. Scanlon is going to play it right down the middle. That's who he is. And the second thing is, it's not going to happen because New Hampshire isn't crazy. It would be crazy to take a match like, I'm just going to keep your guy off the ballot because I just decided I can through this new loophole that no one's ever talked about ever in the history of American elections and take that match, light it, and then throw it into the tinder that is our current political system. There may be irresponsible people in other states who are willing to do that. That's not New Hampshire. And so it's just not going to happen. Trump, If Trump's not on the ballot, it's going to be because something like the U.S. Supreme Court ruled. Something like that. Uh, but you know, I, uh, I will tell you, just like Democrats in New Hampshire have 
said that they support keeping the first in the nation primary and they're and they were willing to ally with Republicans on that. There are responsible Democrats in New Hampshire who would say, look, we don't want that. You can't keep the if you keep them off the ballot, you're going that is a direct blow at the fibers of democracy in a state that has one of the highest rates of election participation voting age population in the country. It's a state full of people who care about and are engaged in civic life. And the, to just say cynically, well, if there's a way we can somehow scam our way into keeping Trump off the ballot, not going to happen. And you know, of course, who would really like to keep Trump off the ballot in New Hampshire? Oh, forget the Democrats. They know, look, they Biden beat him by eight points in 2020. And that was before the January 6th, uh, the election was stolen for indictments, etc. No one thinks that Trump's performance is going up in New Hampshire in the uh, wake of, of uh, what happened uh, after he lost the last time. No, so it's not Democrats. It's Republicans. Or, is there some way we could do that? Is this possible? Hey, Dave, can you look at this for us? God. Because there's a real fear, rightly or wrongly, among Republicans in New Hampshire that if Trump is a nominee, this will be very difficult to uh, win any of the down-ballot races. And so... That's where politics is in New Hampshire. We also had our first candidate for president drop out of the race, uh, Miami Mayor uh, Francis Suarez. And so we had our first Granite State goodbye. Uh, in 2020, when I just started working with New Hampshire Journal, we I was trying to think of something to do as the because we had a lot of Democratic candidates, obviously, in 2020. A few Republicans, Bill Weld, remember him? Uh, my friend uh, Mark Sanford from down in South Carolina. Uh, so, so we're like, well, what do you do when these people leave uh, you know, the race? Uh, somebody, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, was they did buy coups one year, like haikus, but they were farewell to the candidates. And so I did gravestones, which I thought was pretty good because, you know, you've got like that one sentence, you know, you've, the, the epitaph. It was just an epitaph to the campaigns. And they, they weren't particularly mean-spirited or anything. It was kind of fun, I hope. Well, a lot of people just didn't like the gravestones. It was too morbid. So this year we're going to be doing Granite State goodbyes, and if you have a Granite State goodbye, you've seen the see the first one in the newsletters. Just a short little uh, free form poem, if you will, a little bit of poetry. Uh, if you have one, you can email us news at insidesources.com. Uh, and if we use it, we will credit you and sing your praises, and uh, you will get many huzzas. Uh, mixed reviews on the first one, uh, but uh, hey, you know. Work in progress. We're we're working. That's art. You have to let it, we we artists. We're very temperamental. You have to let's work through our art. And so, thank you for doing that. Speaking of art, Dr. Bruce Houghton at PerfectSmiles.com is the sponsor who makes this podcast possible. And he is an artist. He does not do dental work. He does dental art, which is why you end up with a perfect smile. PerfectSmiles.com in Nashua. And so if you're one of these people who hates going to the dentist, you've been putting off what you need, you, you know you need to do. Maybe you're, for example, getting really aggressively back in the workforce. Maybe you kind of took COVID off for a while. Now you're going to be out and your smile matters. Well, you want to get it done right. Dr. Bruce Houghton did mine for me, Howie Carr, many other people. If, if you see a great smile, Anywhere in the New England media world, there's a good chance that it was crafted by the artist, formerly known, no, currently still known as Dr. Bruce Houghton at PerfectSmiles.com. And if you've talked to a dentist in the past and you were unhappy, you were either unsure about what your results were going to be, you had questions about the price, whatever, 
just visit perfectsmiles.com. Make an appointment. Go by, see Dr. Bruce, see his wife, Stephanie. They are great. And what they'll do is they'll give you the truth, the, the information you can rely on. He's someone you can trust. He's great at his job, and he's just a great guy. Dr. Bruce at perfectsmiles.com. And now, my former governor, Nikki Haley, on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. So please welcome to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, my former governor, Nikki Haley. Governor, welcome back. Good to be with you, Michael. Go Tigers. Well, see, I'm not going to annoy you. I always do my Carolina Gamecocks <laughs> references. They just annoy you. All This is all I ask. When you walk out on the stage to accept the GOP nomination for president, I just ask that you play the theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey and have Cocky the Gamecock waving a flag. That's all I ask. Is that asking too much, Governor? That's totally asking too much. <laughs> but I'll let Cocky sit in the audience. How about that? Uh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll see about that. So... <laughs> Uh, speaking of don't get cocky kid, the famous line from, from star Wars, which by the way, when I was a political strategist, I used to tell my candidates, watch star Wars. It's all in there. Um, you had a nice uh, debate bump. Even the Trump team is sending out memos saying Nikki Haley rocked on the debate stage. Well, you know, look, it was certainly, um, we have been overwhelmed with the support, but I love the fact that debates allow people to see, um, what their options are. And, you know, you can see that. And even though the debate, you know, became a bit of a scrum, the goal is you want to be able to see not only what people's policies and solutions are, you want to be able to see what they have to offer, how they act as a leader and how they communicate. And, you know, we certainly have been receiving a lot of support and our phones have not stopped ringing and thousands of people have gone to our website to get involved and we're just grateful. Um, but we're going to keep our head down. You know, we got to keep working and this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I want to get to your upcoming visit here in New Hampshire to talk about parents' rights, which is a key issue for the GOP electorate in the Granite State. But on the, de the debate gives a chance to talk a bit about foreign policy. And this is my big question for all of the folks who are talking a lot about foreign policy in their campaign. Is that still an issue that moves primary voters? You did an event, for example, in Portsmouth with Polaris, and I, I got a lot of great feedback from the people in attendance, but a lot of people are like, eh, Ukraine, China, and I'm, I'm talking about groceries and my kids. It, you know, they're not <clears throat> fun topics. It's not top of mind. I mean, I think people are looking at the fact that inflation is high and it costs more at the grocery store and more at the gas station, and they're feeling it in their wallets. But I also think that they really paid attention when they saw that spy balloon go over our country. Mm -hmm. It became very real. You know, you can ask the people in Iowa, they're paying attention and all across the country when they're seeing our farmland being bought in 400,000 acres of U.S. soil. You know, most recently in our Grand Forks Air Force Base, where our most sensitive drone technology is, they're seeing it, whether it's the fact that you've got police space stations here, 90 percent of our law enforcement drones are Chinese. So if you freaked out over the spy balloon, just a man, man, imagine all those mini spy balloons, they're feeling the, the fentanyl flow, you know, and the fact that um, we've had more people die of fentanyl in this country than the Iraq, Afghanistan and Vietnam wars combined. So right. China has infiltrated our country and people are feeling it. And so they are talking about it. And, and wherever I go to talk about it, the heads are nodding. They feel the threat and they don't know what we're doing about it. And the answer is nothing. 
So uh, the folks in the uh, U.S. Senate Help Committee sent a letter, uh, I think today or yesterday, uh, to the Department of Education about the number of Chinese, the money that's flowed into Chinese from Chinese sources, CCP specifically sources, into both universities and K through 12 schools, including a few years ago, uh, one here in New Hampshire. In fact, UNH had a Confucius Institute. Are you familiar with these? The uh, CCP. I'm very familiar thing? with it. Yes, and what they do is. They go into these universities, they steal our research, by the mm -hmm. way, and then they go and spread Chinese propaganda. And so when the Confucius Institute started getting called out because they were giving millions of dollars to our American education to spread what they wanted to, they just changed the names and are still giving the money. Right. And so bottom line is we don't need any foreign money going into any of our education systems, period. The same way we don't need foreign lobbyists lobbying our members of Congress, which is happening right now. We will end all the foreign lobbying as well. That's what ambassadors are for. We right. have to start waking up and stop just letting things happen to us. And that's what's happened under the Biden administration. That's what I will stop when I am president. And interestingly, one of the members of the HELP Committee is U.S. Senator uh, 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 Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, who declined to sign on to the letter criticizing this. One more thing about China. The news broke uh, just a few hours ago that Goldman Sachs has been investing Chinese state-backed capital to buy businesses in the U.S. and, and Great Britain. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I'm from South Carolina and, you know, South Carolina where you were governor, free market state, a lot of pro-business, you know, kind of a hands-off approach. And I think this is one of the areas that Rep Republicans are debating. Do you want to stand by free market you know, uh, open, you know, uh, libertarian approach to uh, the economy? Or would a president, uh, uh, Nikki Haley, step in and say, hey, Goldman Sachs, you free market except China, they're our enemy. You've got, we're going to take action, even though it's, you know, theoretically free trade and a free market. Look, I'm for freedom. I'm for free markets. I'm for capitalism, but not when it comes to our national security. That's the lens you look at, is you always look at it through a national security lens. If it can harm Americans, if it can harm American security, if it threatens us in any way, you don't do it. So, for example, commerce has a list of technology that um, is not that we don't want China to have because it it builds up their military and it threatens Americans. Yet the Biden administration approved 70 percent of those requests. Those should be blacklisted. We have to pick certain things that are going to hurt us and say, we're not going to have it. No matter who you are, whether you're Goldman Sachs or anyone else, if you are doing something that's putting the safety and the lives of Americans at risk, it's not worth $1 for you to have or for us to deal with. And so it's got to be through that national security lens. And we have to look at it in the way that if China pulled the rug out from under us tomorrow, would we be okay? Right. And any of those issues where we would not be okay, that's what you tackle first. So look at the medicine aisle when you go to your drugstore. Every one of those things would be affected. Look at the farmland and the food security that we're dealing with. Every one of those would be affected. Look at what's happening with fentanyl now. And no one's dealing with that. And Americans are dying every day. That would be affected. All of those things, that's what we need to be focused on. So, yes, we need to get onto those companies and say, what exactly are you using that money for and put an end to it. So on Wednesday, uh, September 6th, you're going to be in Manchester with uh, Moms for Liberty and their co-founder, Tiffany Justice, for an education town hall. 
you mentioned uh, education issues during the debate, including the issue of parents' rights and where the balance is. What's your view of parental rights in the current context? Every parent has one job, one job, and that's to make sure that their child has everything they need to be successful and have opportunities so that they can have a good life. There should never be anything said or taught to a child in a classroom that a parent doesn't know about. So the transparency in the classroom is huge. And Manchester, you know, we're seeing that lawsuit where a mother's suing the, the school district mm -hmm. because their child was participating in transgender activity and the school was keeping that away from the parents. That is unbelievable that school bureaucrats think that they can be better parents than the actual parents. And there's got to be an end to that. They don't get to decide what's good for our kids. We get to decide what's good for our kids. And so that's what we're going to do with that education forum. I hope everybody will come out and join me and Moms for Liberty in that discussion because this is a huge issue. It affects, you know, not only what's being said to our kids in terms of all this you know, woke ideology that's happening, mm -hmm. but it's also what's being taught to our kids in the classroom in terms of education. When you've got, you know, pre-COVID 67% of eighth graders who weren't proficient in reading or math. And then a month ago, it comes out that 80% of eighth graders aren't proficient in history or civics. And now they've said our 13 year olds are scoring the lowest in reading and math that we've seen right. in decades. That's the focus we need to be having, mm -hmm. not on the fact that they want to socially make our kids acceptable to what they think is right. right. But I want to get back to the parents' rights thing because the people who oppose and, and by the way, a bill to uh, enshrine parental rights in New Hampshire failed narrowly in the legislature a few months ago when a handful of Republicans joined the Democrats. And their argument was it's too dangerous for the children. There might be a household out there where parents have strong feelings about gay or, or, or uh, LGBT lifestyles. And as a one state senator put it, this could be fatal if we let parents know what their kids are doing. What What is your answer to the argument that you're participating directly or indirectly in hate by advancing that, that view that parents have a right to know? As a mom, no school bureaucrat has any right to judge me on how I parent. They have no right to take over part of that parenting, and they have no right to decide what's best for my child. So I will fight for parents every day of the week. We cannot have these school bureaucrats sit there and tell us what good parenting and bad parenting is. Those are conversations that should be happening in the home. I should be able to talk to my kids about all of those issues in the home. They should be able to have those conversations you know, whether it's in church or otherwise, where they choose to have it. But that's just not the role of schools. It's so wrong that they're doing this. And the worst part is the fact that they think they know better than parents. That's what's dangerous. It's not the other way around. Well, you know, you're showing up with a hate group known as Moms for Liberty, Governor. So come on. I mean, <laughs> you're already out there with hate. And by the way, think about dangerous those words are moms and liberty. I like the uh, Democrats organization, a non-gender specific individuals for something. I thought that you know, was I've much said better it, I've said if they if they say Moms for Liberty is a hate group, then count me as one of them. I want to go ahead, go ahead. because yeah, I, go ahead. I you know I am a Mom for Liberty, and I am going to continue to fight the fights that they're fighting because they're all the right ones. So I want to do my part for gender equity here. You get asked all the time, "Are you really running to be Trump's vice president? Don't you really want to be Donald Trump's vice president? You know, put the woman in the back seat." I want to flip this around. If you got the nomination, would you be willing to offer the vice presidency to Donald Trump? 
I don't know who I'm going to offer it to, but I can tell you it's going to be the best person for the job. It's not going to be focused on whether the person is a man or a woman. It's not going to be focused on whether um, what race they right. are. It's not going to be focused on what's most popular. It's going to be who's going to be the person that's going to create the strongest partnership with me so that they make me better and that we take our country to a stronger and better place. That's what I'm going to focus on. And I'm not going to play politics with the vice president. Look at what happened with Joe Biden mm -hmm. and the fact that a, you know, I will continue to say a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris. Now, how we can you say that? How can you, as George Stephanopoulos put it, what possible reason would you have for saying that? <laughs> there, it, you know, George lost his <laughs> mind over this and his head exploded literally on TV. But you can't tell me that you think that Joe Biden is going to make it as president to the age of 86. He is not. The decline I'm, we have I'm seen. I'm not sure he's going to make it to the refrigerator in the afternoon. Are you kidding me? Come on, look at the guy. This is a President Kamala Harris all day long. That's who we're running against. And anybody that wants to imply otherwise is not telling the truth to the American people. Democrats know that. Republicans know that. Every person knows that Joe Biden is in decline. It's why I've constantly said we have to have term limits, why we need to have mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. The Senate is now the most privileged nursing home in the country. <laughs> um, you know, we've got to snap out of it. It's time for a new generation leader. And Kamala Harris is not it, by the way. I, I love the idea of being governed by people sitting around watching Matlock and eating pudding in the afternoons. Listen, <laughs> Governor Haley, we have run out of time. I, by the way, I heard your litany of the of the description of your choice for vice president, all the qualities. You were very pointed about it. I, I picked up your hint. I'm sorry. I can't serve as your vice president. We're both from the same state. So I appreciate the suggestion. I know that's what you're hinting at, but alas, I'm going to have to decline. Understood. I hope all your <laughs> listeners will go to NikkiAley.com because we need your support. We want to earn your vote and we're going to finish this. And you'll be in Manchester on Wednesday, September 6th. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And we'll be there for other events as well. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.